gospel reading for this morning comes from Luke's gospel, beginning in the first chapter at the 26th verse. Luke wrote these things. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to the Galilean village of Nazareth to a virgin engaged to be married to a man descended from David. His name was Joseph, and the virgin's name Mary. And upon entering, Gabriel greeted her. Good morning, you're beautiful with God's beauty, beautiful inside and out. God be with you. And she was thoroughly shaken, wondering what was behind a greeting like that. But the angel assured her, Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son and call his name Jesus. And he will be great, be called son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will rule over Jacob's house forever, no end ever to his kingdom. And Mary said to the angel, but how? I've never slept with a man. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will hover over you. Therefore, the child you bring to birth will be called Holy, Son of God. And did you know that your cousin Elizabeth conceived a son old as she is? Everyone called her barren, and here she is six months pregnant. Nothing you see is impossible with God. And Mary said, yes, I see it all now. I am the Lord's maid ready to serve. Let it be with me just as you say. And then the angel left her. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? O God, eternal wisdom, source of all life and grace, bless all who are seeking the meaning of this life. Endow them with courage to risk the unknown. Bless them with wonder enough to be still and rejoice. And anoint them with wisdom to understand the potential of their dreams. Open our ears, our hearts, and our minds to your word for us this day. Amen. Well, there once was an old African-American farmer, and he had lived his life in the poverty of hard-scrabble farming, the injustice of the Jim Crow era, the struggles for food and for dignity. But every Sunday, he dressed up in the old suit he owned and carried his worn-out old Bible to church with him. And one day, a newly minted, seminary-trained, aspiring theologian and scholar came to visit that particular little country church. And seeing the farmer's well-used Bible, he asked, what's your favorite verse in the Bible? And the old man said, oh, that's easy. And it came to pass. Well, the well-educated seminary student didn't mean to be condescending, but he responded, but that isn't even a complete verse. It's just an opening prepositional phrase. There must be more to it than that. The old man smiled and said, Ah, you see, every time trouble would come into my life, I would read, and it came to pass. Every time sorrow came into my life, I could say, 
And it came to pass. See, Sonny? I always knew that trouble didn't come to stay. It came to pass. You know, a proper response to fear, I think, begins by recognizing it in all its reality, to look at it square in the face, to know it for what it is, but also to know that in the end, fear does not have the last word. It only came to pass. So the word of the angel came to Mary, do not be afraid. The same word came to Joseph in a dream, don't be afraid. The same word came to Zechariah and Elizabeth, fear not. The same word will come to the shepherds in a field keeping watch over their flocks by night, don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. You see, the angelic greeting comes time and time again in Scripture, particularly throughout this Advent story, the same greeting, the same command, repeated over and over again, fear not, don't be afraid. And our reaction most assuredly would be, you have got to be kidding. That piece of advice to me sounds perfectly absurd. Mary had every reason to be afraid. She knew she would have to face the gossip of the community in which she lived. She'd be an object of shame and disgrace. People would look down on her and tell all kinds of nasty stories about her. I'm sure she was afraid of what her fiancé Joseph would do. He would have the right to break their agreement according to the law. The law of her day also called for an adulteress to be stoned to death. To consent to being an unwed mother would mean putting her own life on the line. And of course, if Mary is really listening, there is even more than that. You see, this isn't to be an ordinary pregnancy or baby. This baby is to be the son of God. How would you like to take on that surrogate parenting responsibility? And if she is still listening, this child is coming for no less than the throne of David, challenging the powers of the day, confronting leaders in the temple, bringing in the kingdom of God. Now all of a sudden this angel visit doesn't sound so sweet and unthreatening. It sounds like an overwhelming challenge of a lifetime. She had every right to be afraid. And if we're honest... So do we. The most common command in the Bible heard every time God's word comes to God's people from wandering Old Testament Israelites to doubting New Testament disciples, the word comes, fear not. Mary, don't be afraid because the Lord is with you. So the solution to fear begins with faith in the God of ages and conviction that God is still involved in the lives of God's people, a God who is present, a God who is with us. Faith for times of fear begins with the conviction that God is still with us, besides the scary headlines and heated debates of our day. The eternal God is present, standing in the shadows, keeping watch over God's own. God is still present, and active in this world.
Now, Mary, don't be afraid because God keeps God's promises. This is the word of hope for tomorrow. The word which helps us to see that beyond this present is God's good future. Faith for a time of fear looks beyond the present and claims the assurance of God's coming kingdom, God's promise of a future for us. There's a story about a guy who hated his wife's cat. I like this story. He just hated that cat with a vengeance, but his wife loved the cat. But one day, the cat disappeared, and his wife was grief-stricken, so the man put an ad in the newspaper, 500 bucks for information on the missing cat. Well, his friend saw the ad and said to him, wow, $500 for word on a cat that you hated. That's pretty risky, isn't it? Well, with a sly, knowing twinkle in his eye, the man responded, it's not so risky when you know what you know. That's a good story there. <laughs> and folks, we know the end of the story. Life isn't so scary when you know what you know. We know that God keeps his promises and sends a savior. We know that Jesus comes and his name is Emmanuel, God with us. We know that the word has become flesh and has dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And we have beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten Son of God. And we know the promises that one day the lion shall lie down with the lamb and a little child shall lead them. We know that one day they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And that nation will not lift sword against nation. And neither shall they study war anymore. We know that one day God's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. That one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Life is not scary when you know what you know. There's another story about a small-town Presbyterian minister, Reverend David Battles. He'd served a small church for 10 years when he accepted a new call to another town. The population of North Haven had declined. The church could no longer afford a full-time pastor and would probably have to merge with the also-declining Methodists in town when David left. Everyone's future was up in the air. The pastors, the churches, the peoples, they all knew it. On his last Sunday, David baptized his first granddaughter in the church. But old Minnie and Agnes, two of his closest friends, were unable to be there because Minnie had been sick numerous times and thought that she was dying more than once. But this time it was the real thing. So on their way home from church, they took the baby to see Angus and Minnie. Well, his daughter Annie carried the baby up to Minnie in her bed. And he writes... Annie laid the baby into the old woman's eager arms. The baby was waking and started to wail, and Minnie folded her arms around the child, still resplendent in her christening gown. There, there, I heard Minnie say. The baby stilled, and Minnie looked into her eyes and said, There is nothing to be afraid of. Then she looked from the baby to the mother and said, There isn't really. Well, the pastor goes on. 
Two weeks later, as I looked down from the pulpit over Minnie's casket, I thought, is there really nothing to be afraid of? Have all the mothers who ever cooed those words to their sleepless babies been telling lies? Many, it occurred to me, had not been afraid, not because there was nothing to be afraid of. There is so much to be afraid of. The truth, and many knew it, is more subtle. There is plenty to be afraid of, but in spite of it, you don't have to be afraid. To the shepherds, the angels sang, do not be afraid. To the women at the tomb, the angels said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, not because there is nothing fearsome. Do not be afraid because fearsome things do not have the last word. In this day, a day of great fear, I believe, hear once again the word of the angel. Do not be afraid, not because there is nothing to fear, but because God is present, the Lord is with you, the Savior will come. God keeps God's promises, and in the end, fearsome things don't win. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. Amen.